Shake hands up. Come on. Yeah. Guess what book of the Bible we're doing today? Hey, Jude. We're doing Jude. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. One chapter, 25 verses, one book, one Sunday. You guys ready to go? Some of y'all have been trying to figure it out for a couple of weeks what the book is going to be. We tried to put a little bit of music behind it last week, but y'all, most of you didn't have a clue. Somebody said Leviticus. Yeah, we're going to do Leviticus in one week. It's on page 493. If you're using one of the Bibles, our host team is coming around right now. If you need a Bible or a pen, uh, they'll get that to you this morning. Hey, did you guys enjoy the special time of worship this morning? It was a little different. That was awesome. It was great to have uh, Katie, our, our guest worshiper with us this morning, a uh, violinist. Uh, we heard her the first time she helped us out at our Christmas Eve services. She just graduated from UNC, and uh, so she came today just to kind of fill in and help us out, and it was awesome. I told her at Christmas Eve, there's nothing more beautiful than someone who knows how to play the violin. There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's also nothing worse than somebody who does not know how to play the violin. Just ask my parents, because the first instrument I ever learned as a kid was the violin. It was like, you know, screeching cats. But that was beautiful this morning. And it was really nice just to kind of strip it down and do something different. Our full band will be back next week. But that was beautiful worship this morning. Hey, I do want to take a moment while you're getting to the book of Jude. I'll give you a chance to get there. It's right before Revelation. Uh, to welcome our guests. If you're a first-time guest, we're thrilled to have you here at Orchard Church this morning. Uh, we hope we can be as much a blessing to you as you've uh, been to us just by choosing to worship with us and study God's Word this morning. Inside your connection card uh, there in your newsletter. There's a connection card. It's a guest card. If you just fill that out, we'd really appreciate it. Just give us your contact information. We're not going to show up at your house or anything, but we're just going to send you a little thank you note and a gift in the mail saying thank you for being our guest. You can fill it out, tear it off, drop it in the offering bucket when we receive our gifts at the end of service uh, this morning. Well, today we're going through the book of Jude. Also, let me uh, mention this before I forget. Uh, how many of you guys saw the poll that we're taking in your newsletter? If you haven't, be sure and take that out. You can fill it out real quick right now. Um, it is a poll because we are planning to go to three services in the fall due to the growth here at Orchard Church. And we're excited about that. And rather than add a third Sunday, uh, we're going to add a Saturday night service. We've had a lot of requests for Saturday night services, people that can't always be here on Sunday. And so we're trying to figure out the best time. And so if you please fill out this poll, this will really help us make the decision which time is best, um, how we can plan for children's ministry if you have kids. Fill that out. You can just fold it up, drop it in the offering bucket as well when we receive our gifts at the end of service. That will really help us out uh, today. Well, today we're going to the book of Jude. And, and, you know, we played that song and we had a little fun with it because many times when you think of Jude, you think of that famous song, Hey Jude. It was written by Paul McCartney uh, back in the year I was born, 1968. And it was actually the B-side of a, a little record called a 45. Some of y'all are like, what is a 45? Talk to some of the more mature people around you. They'll tell you what that is. And it wasn't supposed to be the hit, but it ended up being the hit song. Um, it was actually written by Paul McCartney for John Lennon's son because John Lennon and his wife were going through a divorce and his son was, of course, very disturbed by that. And so he wrote the song, Hey Jude. The son's name was actually Jewel, but they thought it sounded better in a song to say Jude. It, so, it sold over 8 million singles. And so maybe that's what you think of. But before that Hey Jude song was made famous, there's a famous book in the Bible called The Book of Jude. And I'm, we're going to jump right into this this morning because we're going to do one book one Sunday, so we've got to move quick. You take notes fast, and I, of course, will speak fast. I always do. And uh, this is the way we predominantly study the Bible here at Orchard Church. Well, we've just come off uh, a series called Strap with Finances, but the way we mainly study the Bible here is we go to a book of the Bible and we work our way through. We're getting ready to go through the book of Genesis, some stories and characters in Genesis uh, this summer. You guys excited about that? It's going to be a fun book. You don't want to miss that. It'll be beginning in, in June. All right, the book of Jude today. Well, we always want to start with the context of any book that we're studying. So let's grab uh, the context of the book of Jude. You can get a lot of the context right here in the first two verses of Jude. And, and we know who wrote the book because the first word is what? Jude. Everybody say Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And a bondservant was someone who was a servant to their master, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They were free to go, but they chose to continue to serve. And the truth is, all of us as Christians are bondservants to Jesus Christ. We serve our master, not because we have to, but because we want to. Amen? And so Jude says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. That gives us a clue who this Jude is. To those who are the called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And 
other words, who are the called and sanctified? It's believers. It's Christians. So this is written to Christians during Jude's time. It's written to Christians today. And he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So we get a lot of the context of the book of Jude in the first two verses. It was written, most scholars believe, by a man named Jude, who was the brother of James. He wrote the book of James. And we know that James and Jude were half-brothers of our Lord. The half-brothers of Jesus Christ. Uh, many people think that Mary remained a virgin all of her life, but she didn't. The Bible says she was a virgin before she had Jesus. But after that, they went on to have other children and a family. And so some of the brothers of Jesus were James and Jude. They were half-brothers of Jesus because, of course, um, Joseph was not you know, their father. His, Jesus' father was, was God. And so we get a little context there with that. Um, G- Jude, like James, was a non-believer. He, he did, the brothers of, of Jesus, the half-brothers James and Jude did not believe Jesus was who he claimed to be when he was going around teaching. They actually were kind of embarrassed of their brother Jesus until Jesus was crucified, was buried, and when he rose again and they saw him as the risen Savior, they became believers. That changed everything for them. And so that's who this Jude is. The, the letter was probably written around 68 to 70 AD, somewhere in that first century. What was the purpose of Jude? Why did Jude write this letter? You have this in your notes. This is important because it sets the context for the whole uh, book in the Bible of Jude. It's to challenge believers to defend the faith. It's to challenge believers in Jesus Christ to defend the faith. And notice I said the faith and not their faith. Because there's people that have faith in a lot of different things, but your faith is only as good as what you place your faith in. And there is the faith that is based upon the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, God's Word, and Jesus Christ, God's Son. And that's the faith we're talking about. Defending that faith, the one true faith. Now why did Jude need to write to Christians to tell them to stand up and defend their faith? Because there were false teachers that were making their way into the churches and they were sneaking in and they were leading people astray they were teaching things that did not line up with the word of God it was different beliefs and 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 they were confusing people and fooling people and Jude is writing to say you got to know your faith you got to stand up for your faith you got to contend for your faith and fight for it because these people are trying to lead you astray a lot of Bible scholars would call these type of people in the Bible apostates maybe you've heard that word an apostate or apostates it means they claim to be a Christian they came into the church acting looking pretending to be Christians but they really weren't they really didn't personally know the Lord Uh, they were counterfeit believers we know this because because they denied the deity of Christ. Uh, they denied that Jesus was who he claimed to be God. They denied uh, that all the scripture was from God. And they would take the Bible and they'd take a verse here and they'd take a verse there. And they would twist it to make it say what they wanted to say. Now nobody would ever do that today, right? Yeah, you see why this book is so practical to us today. Why we need to know what this book says. And they were fooling people and they were, ha- they were gaining many followers because of their false teaching. Now let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever been fooled by someone or something? I mean, you, you, were, you, you bought into it but then you found out you're fooled. Raise your hand, hand high. Yeah, most of us have. Uh, I've been easily fooled by a lot of infomercials. Shelly teases me all the time. I'll be watching TV and an infomercial will come on and I get sucked in. And they say the same thing over and over for like an hour. And I'm like, Shelly, you got to see this, man. I mean, and, and she's like, Doug, they, they don't all do what they promise. And I, I get easily fooled by those. Um, our staff here, our team, uh, continues to tease me every time we go into King Supers. A lot of times we'll go over there and we'll have our meeting there at the new Starbucks. And when King Supers first opened, the first week it was open, we decided to go into the new Starbucks and have our meeting there. And we were meeting there and they came over the loudspeaker. And there was this guy, and he's like, Hey, we want to welcome all you King Super shoppers to our brand new King Supers. And they said, If you'll come back to this aisle back here in the produce, we have got uh, some free gifts because it's our opening week and we got these great gifts we're going to give out and we only have a few of them and I'm like guys it's grand opening week you, you know they're probably giving something really cool out let's, let's go back there so we, we shut down the meeting I took them all back there and we watched a 30 minute knife presentation <laughs> you know these cutlery knives and the free gift was this little plastic thing that you what is it you take the eyes out of like a potato that was the free, free gift I could have probably brought a dozen at the, the dollar store and so sometimes I'm easily fooled by those things and that's what's happening in the book of Jude these Christians are being easily fooled into some false teaching by these apostates by these false teachers 
And, and, but this is a very practical book today, the, the book of Jude, why we chose it. Many scholars call the book of Jude the most neglected letter in the Bible. It's hard to really find a lot of messages on Jude and a lot of writings on Jude, but yet it's so practical today because so many people today don't know their faith. They don't know the faith. They don't really know what the Bible says. How can you defend something that you don't know yourself? And yet there are hundreds and thousands of different religions and belief systems that are out there that you hear about all the time. You've got to know what this book says, amen? You've got to know what it says so you, can, so you can stand up for it, so you can stay true to it. You know, Paul told Timothy, the young pastor, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy, listen, Timothy, if there's one thing you get right as a pastor, preach the word. Teach the word of God. He said, because there's going to be a time that's going to come in the last days where people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. I believe we're living in those times. We're living in a time where a lot of people are just biblically illiterate. I met with a, a man just a couple of weeks ago, and he, sa he said to me, he goes, I, am, I grew up in church my whole life, but I'm biblically illiterate. I don't know what the Bible says. Can, can you help me? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. That, that is why here at Orchard Church, this book takes center stage. It's all about this book. It's not about what, what I believe or what our church believes. It's about what does this book say. And that's why we choose to do books of the Bible. So we go to a book of the Bible and we, we understand in the context what God is saying to us. And, and that's very, very important. That's why we make disciples here at Orchard Church so we ground people in the Word of God. So this is very practical and important what Jude is saying to us. So I want to I outline this book in, in four ways this morning. Jude addresses four things that pertain to the faith. And not being fooled by false teachers and false doctrine. Four, four things pertaining to faith so we can defend the faith. And the first one, number one in your outline is this. Is he's telling us we need to be, pay attention to defending the faith. We need to be defending the faith. Look at verse 3. Jude says, Beloved, again, that's Christians. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for what church? The faith. Everybody say the faith. To contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You might want to in your Bibles just star or circle or highlight verse 3. Because verse 3 is the key verse in this whole book and why he wrote this. And you might even want to underline, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, that phrase, contend earnestly for the faith. That's what this book is all about. Getting believers to contend earnestly, to stand up for the faith, for the Bible, and what they believe and what they know. Now, it's interesting in verse 3 what Jude tells us. He says, originally I sat down to write to you about our common salvation, just to talk about our faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit changed directions on me, and instead of talking about our common salvation, he told me, you need to talk, tell people to defend their faith, because these, these false teachers are coming into the church. And you know, that's a great lesson right there for us. That we, we're willing to change our plans when the Holy Spirit steps in and God has something different, amen? And that's what the Jude is saying. I sat down to write about one thing, but the Holy Spirit redirected me to address these false teachers and apostates. And he talks about the faith. You know, where does, where does our faith come from? We talk about faith. Where does it come from? Well, Romans 5, 17, or 10, 17 says this. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Our faith is based upon what this book says. And that's what we are to fight for, to contend for. This word contend, when Jude says we're to contend earnestly for the faith, it comes from the Greek word apagonizimai. And it means this, to diligently work hard or diligent hard work. That this is not something that as Christians, Jude says, we should do passively. That we should just kind of wait around until we have to stand up for our faith. No, we have to be constantly paying attention and working and preparing and studying and knowing what this book says so that we're ready to contend for the faith in a moment's notice when it comes about. And it's something we have to work diligently at. We have to, we have to put some time in. We have to work hard at it. it, it's, it this word contend is an athletic term. It's like a, a very dedicated athlete that is so dedicated to their sport that they're constantly working on it. You know, uh, my son Caleb, uh, he's getting ready to be a uh, senior next year here at Prairie View High School, and he, he plays on the varsity baseball team here. And, I mean, he is one of the most driven 
kids athletically that I've ever seen. I mean, it's not because mom and dad are going, Caleb, you need to go to practice. Caleb, you need to work on this. I mean, he just constantly is into it. And he plays baseball. And if you know anything about baseball, it's a sport you really kind of need to play year-round because you can lose your swing and your techniques and all this. We're getting ready to go on vacation here soon. And, and uh, we're going to be gone for two weeks on vacation. And we're, I shared some of this a couple of weeks ago. We've been saving up points, um, Hilton Honors points, for several years, actually for about four years, we had enough points that we're going to go for two weeks to Hawaii for free on our points. And so we're really excited about that. The kids are excited about it. And we're going to Hawaii. I mean, a teenager's getting ready. To, our two teenagers are going to Hawaii. And Caleb comes to us and he says, Dad, I know we're going to Hawaii for two weeks, but I can't just not play baseball for two weeks. I'm getting ready to come back. I and mean, he's going to be traveling all summer on these uh, showcase teams to be before college recruiters. And so he had me get online, find a baseball baseball club team in Hawaii, in Honolulu, I made contact with them so he can practice with them while we're in Hawaii on vacation. And this was all his idea. I mean, talk about dedication to his sport. And that's what Jude is saying to us as Christians. You need to be that dedicated and intentional about your faith about your walk with God, about your relationship with Him, about what this book says that we pay attention to. I mean, can you imagine how much stronger our faith would be in this book if we would approach the Word of God like an athlete, that I want to be prepared? That, that's what Jude is talking about here. You know, I want to challenge all of you guys because I hope this isn't the last time we see some of you until September. Because summer's right around the corner. And in the church world, pastors talk about the summer dip. And listen, we know you're going to take a vacation. We're going to take a vacation. But don't take a three-month vacation from church. Amen? Be here so you can be in the Word of God and you can continue to grow in, in your faith. You know, don't just take a vacation from your time with God and being in His Word. Now, I'm going to tell you at the end, very practically... How you can get stronger in your faith. How you can contend for your faith. You, you can't contend for a faith that you don't know. And I'm going to tell you at the end how you can do that. So Jude starts out talking about defending the faith. And then he moves to talking about those who have departed from the faith. Those who are, were departing from the faith at his time. And he's going to point out these false teachers. And he's going to describe them. Look at verse 4. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. That word unnoticed can mean they kind of came in by stealth. And they, they snuck into the churches. It wasn't like these false teachers came into the churches wearing a t-shirt saying, I am a false teacher, follow me. You know, I'm an apostate. I'm going to lead you. No, they snuck in as counterfeits. He says, they, they came in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this con condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. Or immorality and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude's saying, Don't be surprised these guys are coming in because we've been telling you this was going to happen. And he said, They're turning the grace of God into lewdness. You remember when we went through the book of Galatians? And, and Galatians, if you're not careful, because of grace, it can sound like that our liberty in Christ gives us license to sin and live however we want because we're forgiven. And that's not what Galatians is teaching. But that is what is happening in Jude. They were taking the liberty and freedoms in Christ, and they were just saying, you know, if you know Jesus, you're, you're saved, you're forgiven, you can just live however you want to live, you can do whatever you want to do, and you're going to be okay. And that's not what the Bible says. And, then, and they were false teachers getting people to follow, follow this. And you know, there's false teachers today. There's false teachers we've seen in the last hundred years. Probably one of the most famous is Jim Jones. Y'all remember this guy? Some of y'all, Jim Jones. Um, he claimed to be a Christian. You know, most people just remember, you know, that he got everybody to drink the Kool-Aid. Some 900 people uh, took their life because he, you know, laced the Kool-Aid with, with cyanide. But he came out as someone who got the Bible, teached the Bible, claimed to be a Christian. But he led hundreds of people astray. Um, he amassed a fortune of some $15 million that he got from the people he led astray. He created what was called the People's Temple. And he took all of his followers to uh, the jungle in Guyana in South America. And uh, he had a mass suicide using the Bible, leading people astray as a false teacher. You know, you can look at others. David Koresh, there's, there's many and there are many today. And so Jude is addressing this. Now, Jude, in the next about 10 verses, verses 5 through 11 or so, he is going to point out these who have departed from the faith. 
and who are getting other people to depart from the faith. And he's going to use seven Old Testament examples of judgment. God is very serious about false teachers. And he's going to use seven examples from the Old Testament of judgment to those who cause people to depart from the faith. Now, here's where the challenge of the book of Jude comes in. Jude just mentions these like rapid fire one after another. And he assumes that his readers know these stories because the people he originally written to knew the Old Testament very well and they knew these stories. Problem is, not all of us know these stories as well. And so I, I, I do not have time to spend a lot of time on each of these seven. I'm just going to mention them, just give you a real quick, you know, Reader's Digest, Cliff Note version. I've given you the, the cross references in your Bible. So if you want, you know, maybe this week, take one a day, go back and read the entire story. But he's using these Old Testament stories of examples of how seriously God takes false teachers and how he will hold them accountable and he will judge them and he's using these seven examples. So let's look at them. He says, first of all, false teachers are like some of the people in Israel. That came, in Israel, look at verse 5. He says, but I want to remind you though, you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and that was the nation of Israel, afterward destroyed those who did not what? Who did not believe. You can read about this in Numbers 14. God brought all the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He delivered all of them. But there came a time where most of Israel did not believe and trust what God was telling them. That they could go into the promised land. And there was a point where everybody except for Joshua and Caleb. Everyone 20 years of age and older had to die in the wilderness. And did not get to go into the promised land. That was God's judgment for their unbelief. And that's what he's using as a picture of those that were departing from the faith. False teachers and those that didn't believe. He's saying, listen, just because they're in your church doesn't mean they're a Christian. You see, going to church, being a member of a church, doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking into McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. You're, you're not a Christian because you come to Orchard Church. You're not a Christian because you become a member of Orchard Church. You're a Christian when you personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, and do you believe that there's churches filled with people that claim to be believers, but they're not? Because they haven't made that personal decision. And that's what Jude is saying here. It's just like Israel. Just like God punished the unbelieving in Israel, he'll punish false teachers and those that have departed from the faith. And then he used another example, and that's the fallen angels. Look at verse 6. He says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. He's saying, just like, you know, I... I I'm going to judge fallen angels. I'm going to judge these false teachers that are leading people to depart from the faith. And in verse 6 is an interesting verse here. I mean, we could spend a couple of weeks on this verse where it talks about the angels that lost, left their proper domain. Uh, some teachers believe that that's talking about the angels that rebelled in heaven against God with Lucifer and he kicked them all out. Others believe this may be a reference to Genesis chapter 6 where it says these angelic beings called the sons of God intermingled with the daughters of men which produced the giants. And some believe that. So there are definitely some interesting theories. But we do not have time to get into all of that today. Like the lady on YouTube said, ain't nobody got time for that. Okay? So let's move on. Here's, here's the point. Just like God will punish fallen angels, he'll punish false teachers. That's the point. And then he gives another example. Verse 7. It's Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that original sin city that God uses as an illustration of his judgment throughout the Bible. Sodom and Gomorrah, look at verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner of these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, have gone after strange flesh, are set forth as what? An example. He says, I'm giving you this as an example. God will judge them. God will hold them accountable. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Fire. And God is saying, just like I judged Sodom and Gomorrah and held them accountable, I'm going to do the same with false teachers that lead people to depart from the faith. Now, God's punishment, um, we know against Sodom and Gomorrah, was primarily because of their sexual sin. And specifically, it was mainly because of their homosexual sin. Now, I know that's a very controversial subject today. And a lot of people are changing what the Bible says and they're twisting it and teaching different things than what the Bible says about this subject. And we know what he's talking about. This is homosexual sin because he says here they have gone after strange flesh, which means different flesh, unnatural to what God intended. You could go to the first book of the Bible and we will see this in a couple of weeks in Genesis that God made man for woman and woman for man. 
And that is what he defines as marriage. And he defined for, for sex to take place in that context uh, in, inside of a marriage. And, and I just want to say this, and I know this is controversial, but we need to stop trying to redefine what God has already defined in his word. We, we got to stop doing that. Now, on the flip side, l l let me say this. I've had people recently in our church ask me this question. Would, would a homosexual couple be welcome at Orchard Church? How, how would you feel about if they came and they wanted to attend one of our services? And I said, praise God. We would, we would want them to be here. We, we, would, we would love them. We would accept them. We would reach out to them with the gospel just as we would anyone else. I mean, we would love them and accept them just like we accept the, the drug addict that is searching for God and needs help. We would love and accept them like the, the alcoholic that is struggling. Um, we would love and accept them like the person who's hooked on pornography, another type of sexual sin. We would love them. We would show mercy to them. We would show grace to them or the sin of gluttony or the sin of greed. Listen, we can love them and we can accept them and not condone the lifestyle. And, and we need to make sure we understand the balance of that in, in Scripture. We want them to be here. And we want to reach out with the, the truth and the love and the grace of God for what's going on. And so just like God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he's saying, Jude's saying, he's going to judge the false teachers and their followers. And then he gives another example, and it's, it's uh, the example of Michael and, and Moses. In verses 8 through 10, he says, Likewise, also these dreamers, and the dreamers were the false teachers, they were dreaming up their own teachings instead of the Word of God. They were just dreaming things up. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. That's how false teachers are. They're not going to be under the authority of anybody. They're going, to make, they're going to be their own authority to themselves. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. And then he gives this Old Testament example. He says, yet even Michael the archangel, in contending or fighting with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these, these false teachers, speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast animals in these things, they corrupt themselves. And you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 34 where, where Michael the archangel is, is contending and fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. Um, we don't have time to get into what that fight was all about. Many believe that it had to do with the fact that we know the Bible says that God buried Moses in a place that nobody to this day knows where it's at. And some believe, and many scholars believe, and I happen to lean this way as well, that God did that because Moses is going to be one of the two witnesses that comes back during the tribulation. And maybe Satan wanted to get his hands on that body to try to prevent that like he could prevent what God was doing. But here was the bottom line point. Arch, the archangel Michael even respected the authority that God had given to Satan. Do you all understand that God has given a degree of authority to Satan right now? He is the God of this world right now. Now, there's going to be a day where all that authority is going to be gone. And, and he's saying, listen, even Michael the archangel respected the authority of Satan given to him by God. But these false teachers, they respect the authority of nobody. It's all about them and their ideas and their teachings. And he's saying, you know, God's going to deal with that. So in contrast to the false teachers that respected no authority He's saying even Michael respected authority. They didn't respect, false teachers don't respect God. They don't respect his word. They didn't respect the prophets. And you know, we need to beware of people that have no respect for authority. We need to, we need to watch out for that. And I'll tell you, as a parent, if there's one thing that I want to teach my kids, it's respect authority. Even when you don't agree with the authority, the authorities, the Bible says, are ordained of God. They need to respect their teachers. They need to respect their elders. They need to respect the law enforcement of our city. They need, I mean, people, listen, kids that grow up respect, not respecting authority end up in jail. Okay, I'm going to move on. Okay? We need to respect authority. But that's the problem with these false teachers. They don't respect any authority. And then he gives another example, and it's, it's Cain. You remember Adam and Eve, they, they had a son, his name was Cain, and they had Abel. And he uses Cain as an example. He says in verse 11, Woe to them, to these false teachers, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Well, remember Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, what he did. His brother Abel brought from the first fruits of his flock. It was a blood offering. God accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's offering. You know what the way of Cain is? It's the way of man-made religion. It's trying to get to God on our own and trying to do it our way instead of God's way. And he's saying that's what these false teachers are like. They're like Cain. They're trying to do it their way instead of God's way and the Bible's way. If that makes sense, say yes. 
You all with me? Okay, let's look at the next one. Balaam, verse 11, he says, These false teachers have also, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. He says they're just like Balaam. You can read about this in Numbers chapter 22 through 31. Balaam was a prophet that was supposed to be uh, speaking to God's people on behalf of God, but the king of Moab named Balak uh, said, I want to hire you, Balaam, to go curse God's people. And he was greedy, and so he said, okay, I'll do that. And then remember, God you know, spoke to the donkey, and things got changed around. But he says, like Balaam, these false prophets, they're in it for the money. They're in it for greed. They're, and you look at any false teachers and false prophets, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get people's money. Every time, they're in it for greed. And then he gives one more example. The last part of verse 11, he says, these false teachers, he says, uh, they are going to perish like the rebellion of Korah. Y'all know what that is, right? Y'all studied that out. No, you haven't. <laughs> Most of you. Here's what Korah is. You can read about it in number 16. Korah was a leader that got a group of people together to try to reject God's man, Moses. Moses was God's man. Moses was God's leader. But Korah and a group of people said, we don't like God's man. We want to do things our way. And they got people like the false teachers to try to follow them and lead them astray. Same thing was going on that Jude's addressing. The false teachers reject God's true leaders. They reject pastors. They reject missionaries. They reject evangelists. And most importantly, they re reject the word of God. And so he gives all of these examples to let you guys know how, how evil and deceptive these false teachers, these apostates are. And how they are in our midst and they're in our churches, Jude is saying. And we have to watch out for them because they have departed from the faith and they're leading others to depart from the faith. So he first talks about how as Christians we have to defend our, the faith because there's those that are departing from the faith that will be judged. And now Jude then turns in verse 12 and he presents some vivid pictures of those false teachers that were denying the faith. He gives you some very vivid pictures to describe what they're like, those that deny the faith. We're gonna, now we're going to pick up a little steam here. Look at verse 12. He says, these false teachers, they're like spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, they eat with you, serving only themselves. He says, they come into your love feasts. We, we used to call that in my church a potluck dinner. You know, you, you, church gets together and you have a potluck dinner. And these, guys, these false teachers are there, they're acting like one of you, but they're there to try to get people to follow them. You know, maybe, maybe today it's our small group. You know, you got your small group barbecue, and maybe they try to slip in there and try to talk to people, you know, and, and, and tell them things that don't line up with the Word of God. He, he goes on to say in verse 12, these false teachers, these are vivid pictures, they're like clouds without water carried about by the winds. You know, we've appreciated the clouds that have carried water to the dry land of Colorado. Amen? I mean, the moisture. And it's, it's depressing, though, when you need moisture and you need refreshing and you see clouds and you think it's going to rain and it doesn't do anything. And he says, that's what these false teachers are. They, they say a lot of stuff, they do a lot of stuff, but there's no substance. There's no life. There's no refreshing to what they're doing. They're like clouds without water. He goes on and says, these, these false teachers are like late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. You, you remember what Jesus said? You want to know who the true believers are? You will know them by their what, church? By their fruit. And he says, these false teachers, there's no spiritual fruit. They're like going to a fruit tree to expect some fruit and there's nothing there. That lets you know their spiritual condition. He goes on and describes them in verse 13. He says, these false teachers are like raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. I mean, have you ever walked along a beach after a storm? After it's brewed up, I mean, it's just littered with trash and seaweed and gunk. That's what these false teachers that creep into the churches unnoticed leave behind. They leave behind waste. They leave behind trash. They leave behind destruction. They stir up problems and gossip and trouble. And that's the, the imagery he's using here. He goes on, he says, these false teachers are like wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness and darkness forever. You see, stars don't usually wander. You know, stars are fixed in the sky. You know, you want to know where north is? You look for the fixed north star. Can you imagine if the north star was constantly wandering and moving? You'd never know where you're going. What is he saying? These false teachers are like wandering stars. They lead people astray. They don't lead them down a straight path. They lead them off course. And then he goes on and he says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. In other words, he told you this was going to happen. 
I mean, you're not seven generations from Adam and you got a guy already talking about false teachers. Listen, church, we ought not be surprised that there are false teachers, false prophets today because it's been predicted almost from since the beginning of time. And Enoch said from the seventh round, he prophesied about these men, these false teachers also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute what? Judgment. God's going to hold these people accountable. Now watch the words he uses here on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false teachers are grumblers, verse 16, complainers, walking according to their own lust and they mouth great swelling words. Oh, I mean, I mean they really can give great speeches. Flattering people to gain what? An advantage. They're just trying to get people to follow them in their false teaching. But you, beloved Christians, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time, in the last days, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual people who cause divisions, not having what? The Spirit. Not having the Spirit. These, here, these are all descriptions of these false teachers that have denied the faith and are trying to get others to deny the faith. Did you notice in that passage how many times Jude used the word ungodly? Five times he said they're ungodly, they're ungodly, they're ungodly. And verse 19 removes all doubt that these false teachers, these apostates, they're not Christians because he says they do not have the Spirit. The Bible says, Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to God. If someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not a Christian. Because you know what the first thing that God does when we accept Christ? He places the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Can I have an amen? amen. And he's saying, these false teachers do not have the Spirit. They're ungodly. They're not believers. Even though they look like it. Even though they talk like it, even, like, even though they proclaim to be, he says they've denied the faith. They're false teachers. They're, they're like the ones that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. He says, there will be some people that stand before me one day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus will say what? Depart from me. I never knew you. You see, it, isn't, it does not matter how we're known by each other. It matters most how we're known by God. How does he see us? How does he see our heart? And so Jude is saying here, we need to be defending the faith. Because there are those who are departing from the faith and leading others to depart from the faith. These false teachers deny the faith. So that leads us to this practically. How should believers respond to false teachers and false teaching? What did Jude say in Jude 3? He said, defend the faith. Earnestly contend for it. But here's the problem. How can we defend what we don't really know? A lot of believers today are very intimidated. If I were to sit you down across from someone else who doesn't know the Bible and wants to twist it, could you defend the faith? Could you defend what this book says? Would you be able to stand on your own two feet for what God's Word says? There's only one way for that to happen, and it's number four on your outline. You have to be discipled in the faith. You have to be discipled in the faith. If you're going to contend for the faith and stand up for the faith, you've got to know what it is, and you have to be discipled in the faith. And I want to read verse 20 to 25, and then I'm going to go back and make a couple of comments, especially on verse 20 and 21. Jude closes it up by saying, You've got to be discipled in the faith. And look at verse 20. He says, But you, beloved Christians, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You might want to underline that phrase right there. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit to guide you. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in a right relationship with God is what he's saying. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. And, and then on verse 22 to 23, he tells us, how we should respond to these false teachers. I mean, we're supposed to just cast them aside? Because here's the deal. In Ezekiel, God says this. He says, I do not take pleasure in the punishment and death of the wicked. God does not enjoy punishing people. Amen? He enjoys saving people. He enjoys loving people. He enjoys giving people eternal life. In Ezekiel, God says, I do not take any pleasure in the death and the punishment of the wicked, 
but that they turn from their ways. And they turn to me and turn to my word and that they live. And so Jude in verse 22 and 23 tells us, what, what do you do when someone in your church or someone in your neighborhood or someone in your family or your workplace is a false teacher? It, it's trying to get you to believe something the Bible doesn't say. How do we respond to them? He says this, and on some of them have compassion. Have compassion. Because what they need is the truth of God's word. Amen? What they need is the spirit of God in them to change their life. Amen? He says some of them have compassion, but you've got to make a distinction. Notice what he says here, making a distinction. Because some of them need love and compassion, and some of them need to hear the fear of the judgment if they continue in their ways. And he says in verse 23, and others save them with fear. Put the fear of God in them. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. In other words, hate the sin, love the sinner. You, you know, we, we found that even with our kids. You know, sometimes they need love and compassion to get their attention, and sometimes they need the fear of dad or the fear of mom. And we have to ask God for discernment to make the difference. We have to make the distinction how to approach those people. But the end result and the end goal is to turn their life around for Christ. Amen? You know, I was thinking this morning as I was driving in and I was thinking this message, I was thinking of the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul was a false teacher. He was leading people falsely astray. He was killing Christians for their faith one day until the light of God came into his life on the road to Damascus and his life was turned around 180 degrees. That's what God wants for every false teacher is for them to turn around. Then verse 24, he says, Now to him, to God who is able to keep you from stumbling, buying into these false teachings, and to present you faultless before the presence of his presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever amen I want to close with this thought how is a believer supposed to stand up for what he believes and what the Bible says and defend the faith now go back to verse 20 because here's the key Jude opened up in, in Jude 3 and said you need to earnestly contend and fight and stand up for the faith but then in verse 20, he tells you how to do it. Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, okay, listen, Christians, here's how you're going to defend the faith. You're going to go out and you're going to study all the false religions in the world. And you're going to understand all the false teachings. Good luck with that. That'll take you a lifetime and then some because there's new ones that crop up all the time. He, he doesn't say to do that. Rather, he says in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy what? Faith. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. He says, just get into the Word of God. Get into what this book says. Study it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Understand it. And then when the false stuff comes around, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You can spend your entire life trying to figure out all the false stuff when there's new false stuff coming up all the time. Or you can spend your entire life grounding your life and building yourself up on your most holy faith, the Word of God. And then when the counterfeit comes along, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Are you with me? Say yes. There's a great illustration of this. Anybody, how many of you have been bank tellers? Any bank tellers? Anybody in here worked at a bank, been a bank teller? I've been told that one of the ways they train bank tellers to recognize counterfeit money, they don't bring in all kinds of counterfeit money and go, okay, this one looks like this and this one looks like that because it changes all the time. Here's what they do to teach bank tellers to recognize counterfeit money. They give them real money and they have them play with it and count it over and over. They get the feel of it. They get the texture of it. They get the weight of it. They get the smell of it. And they get so used to the genuine, the real thing, that when one piece of counterfeit money comes along, it sticks out like a sore thumb. That's exactly what Jude is telling us as Christians to do. You know your faith so well and the Bible so well that when something comes along telling you something that does not line up with the Word of God, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Does that make sense? Say yes. That's what we got to do. And notice what he says in verse 20. He says, building yourselves up. Notice he doesn't say build yourself up. This is not something that God intends for you to do alone. He says to the church, build yourselves up. It's a team effort. Build, building your faith up, praying, your relationship with God, doing it as a team effort. You know what that's called, church? Discipleship. 
It's one of the processes here at Orchard Church. It's the, it's the main goal of everything we do. Because Jesus, the last thing he said was go and make disciples. Discipleship is all about building people up in the most holy faith. That's why we talk about discipleship at Orchard Church all the time. Because we know there's fakes out there. We know there's counterfeits out there. And we know if we get people discipled in the faith and the word of God, they'll be strong. They'll, they'll know how to contend for their faith. They'll know how to stand up for their faith. I, I want to encourage you. If you're not a part of our discipleship ministry, th- this is the most important thing for you to hear today. This is that practical application takeaway. Sign up. Sign up. We, now, f- for about seven years at Orchard Church, we've had a waiting list of people to be discipled. Do we have somebody ready to be able to disciple them? We pair a man up with another man, a lady with another lady. We have a curriculum that takes you through the Word of God to ground you in the faith and what the Bible says. I was talking to a lady just the other day. She said, I've been in church my whole life. Last year I signed up for discipleship. I got discipled and I learned more in six to nine months than I had learned in my entire life about the Bible. That's what discipleship does. It makes you strong in the faith. It builds you up in the faith. And so I, I want to encourage you, take out your newsletters right now. On your connection card in your newsletter, down at the bottom, there's a little box that says, sign me up for discipleship. And if you've never been discipled and you say, I, I need to be more grounded in the faith, give us your contact information, check that box, tear it off, turn it in the offering bucket, and we will contact you and begin to pair you up. Because the cool thing is, now we have more disciplers then we have people ready to be discipled. So we've got people we can pair you up with right now here at Orchard Church. I think we've got about 25 people that have been discipled, they've been trained, they're ready to disciple someone else. Now you may be here and go, I've been discipled. I'm strong in my faith. I know what the Bible says. Great, then we need you to disciple someone else. That's what discipleship is. It's reproducing reproducers. So that you, you can help people contend for the faith. You can help people stand up for the faith. You can help them know what the word of God says so that you, they're not led astray and fooled by false teaching and false teachers. Does that make sense to all of you? That, that's, the, that's the practical today. That's the takeaway. That's what you need to do with this. Be involved in discipleship. Either as a discipler, because here's what I've learned, and I hear this all the time from our disciplers, you're going to get grounded and learn even more as a disciple than you may as a disciple. Because it's really hard to teach someone something that you don't know. And, and it forces you. In this, that's the beauty and the accountability of discipleship. Both of you are growing together in your relationship with God, in the word of God, and being strengthened. I want to close with this illustration. We've all heard of the Great Wall of China. The Great Wall of China, you know, is, is known to be one of the greatest defenses ever known to man. But history tells us that the Great Wall of China has been overtaken by an enemy three times. And each of those three times, the guards were bribed. It wasn't the wall that was the problem, it was people. You see, a strong defense depends on strong people. And a strong spiritual defense depends on strong spiritual people. And discipleship makes you spiritually strong. Would you bow your heads this morning? We heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. Listen, if you're here today and you've not been a part of discipleship, Jude says we've got to be ready at a moment's notice to contend for the faith. That means we've got to know the faith. And if you're here today, you know what, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm, I'm, my, my invitation to you is this. If you need to be discipled, sign up today. Right now, right now as I'm talking, you sign up for discipleship. Let us pair you up with somebody who over the next six to nine months can ground you in the word of God. Help build up the most holy faith in your life so that you can defend it, so you can stand up for it, so you will not be fooled and not be led astray by false teachers. If, if you've been discipled, make sure you're discipling someone else. Sign up to disciple someone else. Go through our training because we have people getting saved, accepting Christ all the time here at Orchard Church. And those people, you know who, you know who the false teachers are going to try to pick off? The new believers. Those who have not been grounded in their faith. And we need Christians, disciples that will come alongside of them and help ground them in their faith so they are not led astray, so they're not fooled by false teachers. And that's about nice closed. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, listen, faith begins by accepting Jesus in your life. You can't defend a faith that you don't know the person of that faith and that person is Jesus. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed right now, listen, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your faith can begin today in Him. 
And I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's and invite Him to be your Lord and Savior. It's not the prayer or the words you say, but it's the faith in your heart where it comes from. If you're ready to receive Jesus today, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I ask you to come into my life today. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me eternal life. I put my faith and trust in you today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you made that decision of faith for the first time today, I want to pray for you. I want to continue to pray for you, that you grow in your faith and you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand for prayer all across the auditorium? Just slip it up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Yes. I'm making the decision today to put my faith and trust in Christ. Anyone else? Yes. Today I'm, I'm making that right. Anyone else? Thank you. Let me pray for you folks. Lord, I thank you for those making the decision today to receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would be grounded in their faith so that they can contend for the faith. I pray that they would, that we, we would as a church come alongside of them and disciple them and ground them in your word so they would not be led astray with false teaching and false teachers. There are so many out there today, Lord, that are saying and teaching things that do not line up with your word and that, God, we would take this seriously like a serious athlete dedicated to our time with you and our faith in your word. Thank you for those making that decision today to put their faith and trust in you for the first time. We pray they grow in that faith. And pray, Lord, that we would take this book of Jude seriously, that we would contend for the faith, that we'd be grounded in our faith, and that we would disciple others so we could help them to grow and be, be grounded and be able to stand up for their faith as, as well. And Lord, we, I, I pray for those that are out there today as false teachers. Lord, they're among us more than we maybe realize. I pray for their salvation. I pray that their eyes will be open to the truth of your word like Paul's were open on the road to Damascus. I pray that we would show them grace and, and mercy and love and try to, with our love and with your word, bring them into faith in Jesus Christ and the truth and that they would be set free. We pray that for them. We pray that you would give us opportunities to share our faith with them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Can we celebrate the decisions for Christ this morning together?